You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right, well, if you were trying to get on our class this morning, just an FYI, there was difficulties, I think, with Zoom, so uh, you were not able to do that, but we were pushing that to next week, and so sorry about that. It wasn't on our end, I don't think, but... Um, so, and you're invited, if you're, if you're watching this, to, to join with that class that meets at nine every, every week. You can email Clint, and he'll send you a link to, uh, to, the, to the Zoom class, and so I'd love to have you there. Also, if you're on Facebook, and you're commenting on the differential height between Clint and me, just cut it out, okay? I, he's not 40% taller than me, whoever wrote that last week. I don't appreciate that. He's only 25% taller than me, okay? So, so enough of the height comments. Uh, we, can, we can do without those on Facebook. No, just kidding. Um, we're going to be in Genesis 42 today. Uh, just an FYI in the booth, I don't have my clicker, so you guys are going to have to do the slides unless you guys find them. So. Um, so one of my favorite movies is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And uh, if you're familiar with this movie, it came out in the late 80s. So Indy and his daddy have to find the Holy Grail because, of course, the Holy Grail grants eternal life. And we don't want the Nazis having eternal life. And so, uh, you know, all these climactic events and, you know, getting caught and getting captured, getting escaped, flying around the sky. But what happens um, at the end, the kind of the, the climactic moment of this movie is they're uh, outside where the grail is held. And there's three tests that Indy has to pass. There's three tests. Uh, and they don't know exactly what they are. They just have kind of clues. And the first one is, it's called the breath of God. Only the penitent man will pass. And then the second test is the word of God. Only in the footsteps of God will he proceed. And then you have the third one, which is the path of God. Only in the leap from the lion's head will he proceed. Look at that. Look at that. Got hands on right there. Um, and so as they approach, they have, to, they have to face these tests and trials uh, before they can get to what holds life. And we're coming to the, the kind of climactic conclusion of Joseph's story where he's going to reveal himself and there's going to be life and restoration. But before that happens, uh, there's, there's going to be some tests that the brothers have to pass, that God is going to allow Joseph to use to test these men. Uh, because 22 years earlier, they did something horrendous. They sold their brother into slavery. They abandoned him. Uh, and for now, 22 years, they've been ignoring it. And they've been hiding it. And they've been lying to their dad for 22 years. And they've never really dealt with it. And their conscience towards this event has become hardened and seared. Right? They're basically dead inside. And God is going to, as we start seeing in chapter 42, he's going to start awakening their dead conscience. And he's going to start transforming them into the men he really wants them to be. Right, so he's gonna orchestrate some events in these next couple chapters to start having them face their past uh, and to deal with what has happened because he loves these men and he has plans for these, these 11 men uh, to be leaders and to be patriarchs in, in, in Israel uh, who people would look to. And so how is he going to awaken that conscience and how is he gonna start stirring in their soul? We're gonna see that as we unpack chapter 42 today. Really, this story is a three and a half chapter story, 42, 43, 44, and the first half of 45. We just don't have the margin of time to cover all that. So in the next three weeks, we'll kind of be unpacking this, this climactic event until we get to the big reveal. But we're gonna spend our time in 42 today. And I just wanna show you these three tests 
that God is gonna allow these men to go through to start working in their hearts, to start bringing them back to life spiritually uh, and softening their, their hardened hearts. Because I think God in our lives, his desire is the same thing. His desire is for us to have life and life abundance, is what Jesus says. And so there's some ways that God still works, just like he did in chapter 42 that he's still doing for us. So let's jump in. Remember where we've been. There's been a lot of ups and downs with Joseph. At 17 years old, he has this big up because he has this dream that one day he's going to be in charge and his brothers are going to bow down to him. And they don't like that, so they sell him. That's a big down. He gets, ends up in Egypt, alienated from his family. And then he rises to the ranks of chief of Potiphar's house, so that's, that's kind of a, a big deal. But then he's falsely accused and thrown in jail. There's another down. And he sits there for a couple of years. And then finally he has an opportunity where these two men come in, he interprets their dream. He thinks this one guy's gonna remember him when he gets back to the palace. The guy forgets him for another two years. That's another downer. He's just sitting there, innocent. Until finally Pharaoh has a dream. This man, we looked at it last week, remembers Joseph and he is brought out. He interprets the dream and he's basically exalted to the second most powerful man in the known world, the right hand of Pharaoh. And he predicted that there would be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So during the seven years of plenty, Joseph, because he's super mad gifted administratively, he plans and he, and he stores up so that when those seven years of famine come, Egypt is ready. And when we pick up in chapter 42, we are two years in to the seven-year famine. That's where we're at. And everybody in the world is struggling and everyone is hungry except for the people in Egypt, which means guess who's hungry? Jacob and his 11 sons back in Canaan. So let's jump in, verse one. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. There's that key idea, that we may live, not just physically. God is going to provide for them physically, but he is, it's a double entendre. He's gonna be doing something spiritually that they may live physically, yes, but also spiritually. He says, what are you guys looking at? Why, don't these guys, why do these guys have to be told by their 100-year-old dad, get down and get us some food? It's not as if they're not expert hunters and expert providers. They're shepherds. They, they know how to find food. Why is it that daddy has to say, get on to Egypt. You heard that they have food. I think it's because they know what's down in Egypt. Or at least they remember. Egypt is a, is a bad word in their minds. Because 22 years ago, they sold their brother and he went off to Egypt. And they've been hiding it and they've been averting their past for so long, even though they assume Joseph's dead, there's something wounded deep inside when that word Egypt comes up, when they even think about it, there's this guilt. There's this, there's this conscience that just gets them and God is not gonna let them stay there. So he, they're gonna have to face Egypt. So verse three, so 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So this is a, a rough journey. It's about a 280-mile journey from Canaan down to Egypt. It's not the kind of trip that you wanna make. There's no AAA. There's no texting. I got a flat tire. This is one of those journeys that it could be your last. And so Jacob's like, you're not taking Benjamin. It's too dangerous. Now, you other 10 knuckleheads can go, but we're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not bringing Benjamin, which I'm sure the brothers are like, thanks. Appreciate that, Dad. But we can see that just getting rid of Joseph did not get rid of the favoritism in this family. 
So the 10 brothers go, one stands behind, they get down in verse six. Now Joseph was governor of all the land. He's the head honcho. Everyone's gotta come through him. He's overseeing everything from everyone who comes all over the world to get food. He's the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. What's that, what's that sound like? Maybe a dream 22 years earlier where there was 11 sheaves bowing down to one sheaf. And so it's coming to pass. And Joseph saw his brothers. He recognized them, right? I love that. He sees them coming. He recognizes them and they have no clue it's Joseph. They assume he is dead. So how, how could they not recognize their brother? Well, number one, they assume he's dead. Number two, it's been 22 years, a long time. Get on your Facebook. Some of you have been posting your high school picture for everyone to see. You wouldn't look nothing like that anymore. They haven't seen their brother for 22 years. He's got a shaved head now. He's got a headdress on. He speaks a different language. In fact, we'll find out in a few minutes. He's actually working through a translator. He's not speaking Hebrew to them, right? And so they have no clue. So he's, he, he pretends, he puts on an act. He doesn't want them to know it's him. He treats them harshly. Who are y'all? Where do you come from? And they said, we came from the land of Canaan to buy food. All they know is this guy is powerful. He's in charge. He is, everyone seems to respect him. And he's the key to life. We want to live. We got to go through him, even though they don't want to be there. Verse eight. And Joseph recognized his brothers. It says it again. They did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed. And he said to them, you're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. You're coming to spy us out. You're coming to see where we're weak. That's why y'all are here, right? And, and it is just, this is just a great scene. We're gonna see how sharp this guy really is because his, his, his mind is, is moving. He's not angry, but he has questions for these brothers. He knows what God has called him to do. He knows exactly why he is there. He knows he is called to save. But before he has this great family reunion, he's gotta get some answers. He needs to see, number one, what's happened to my dad? Because these guys hated my dad. Is my dad dead? Number two, what's happened to Benjamin? Why are there only 10? Where's Benjamin? Did they do the same thing to Benjamin that they did to me? And number three, have they changed? Are they the same rotten scoundrels that they were 22 years ago. And so he's going to put them through a series of tests before they can experience life. And so he says, you're spies, you're spies. They say, no, my Lord, you're servants. Notice now they're not afraid to call him servant, right? Before they're like, we'll never serve you. Now they're saying, we're your servants. We're sons of one man. We are honest men. And Joseph's rolling his eyes, yeah, right, honest your servants have never been spies, never. He said, no, it's as I say, right? Verse 11, this TV went out. We are all sons of one man, honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said, no, it's the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, no, we are your servants. We are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father and one is no more. And so now he gets the information he's been looking for. Dad's okay, Benjamin's okay. And tell me about this one is no more. What are you, what are you talking about there, right? Because they, they're talking about him, right? But he says, no, you're spies, you're spies. He says, by this you shall be tested. This whole thing is a test, all right? Verse 15, by this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you 
And let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested. Whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies, right? And he put him in jail for three days. So Joseph's going to put this through the test. Again, it's a, whole, it's a test, right? Prove that you're honest men and then he throws him in prison. And now they have nothing but time to think. Just think. And, and his goal is to awaken their consciences, to see if they will, they'll own what's going on, to, to deal with something that they haven't talked about, that they've been suppressing for 22 years. Because God is not gonna let these brothers hide. He's, his whole goal here is to expose, to show what they've done, show who they are. And as painful as that is, this is the path to life for them. Right? And so there they are in jail. Day one, nothing. Day two, nothing. Finally, day three, Joseph comes back to them. Verse 18 and says, on the third day, Joseph said, do this and you will live. There it is again. You wanna live? Here's what you gotta do. For I fear God. And that should have piqued their interest because an Egyptian that fears God, there's something different. But he says, if you're honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. He, see what he's doing here? He's, he's basically giving them an opportunity to do the same thing that happened before. Leave one behind and go back to dad. And the whole goal is to see if it'll awaken something in their soul right, to test and see are their conscience is gonna stay hard and God is gonna move and he's going to soften these guys from facing the same thing that they had done before. So in Indiana Jones, last year say the first test is the breath of God, right, where there would just be this little cusp of wind that would come out and following the wind would be two saws and if you didn't duck, it was bad for you, right? And so the key was the, only the penitent man will pass. Of course, Envy, Indy's like freaking out and he's, he's talking about himself and he says, oh, penitent man, penitent man is humble. Penitent man kneels and he kneels down at the last minute and the Saul comes and he gets through, right? But he humbles himself and he gets on his face and he escapes the sword. This really is the, the first test for these boys, right? Penitent is kind of an old English word. It just means sorrowful, repentant, remorseful regretful. Will these boys own what they've done or will they continue to suppress it? Will they keep hiding it? Will they keep hardening their heart? Will they keep trying to put it out of their mind? Or will they say, we are wrong because only the penitent man will pass. Look what happens, verse 21. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty and in the Hebrew text, it's emphatic. It's we, we are guilty. It just goes out of its way to put the emphasis. We are guilty. We did this, right? We saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we didn't listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And we find out details we didn't find earlier that, that Joseph was in the pit begging for his life. And what did they do? We saw, he, they sat down and had a picnic. They ate. And they ignored him. And they say, his distress is a, is a play on words. That's, we're experiencing that now. It's the same distress. This is because of what we have done. And their hearts have been awakened. And that seared conscience, is, there's a crack in it. And, it, and there's life 
there because only the penitent man would pass. And here's, here's the test. And here's the test for us too. It's the path to life, to the, to the eternal life that gets in the, in the cup of Jesus, right? So to speak from the movie is that in our lives, will we be willing to just take ownership of the past? Will we own our failures? Will we own our guilt? Admit, I'm wrong. I was wrong, right? Because it doesn't go away. It doesn't matter if it's been 22 years. You can push it down. You can hide it. You can let your conscience be seared, but it's always there. David says when he hid his, the murder of Uriah, when he, when he hid his affair with Bathsheba, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as with the heat of summer. It killed me. See, there's a danger when God is kind of pricking your heart and, hey, this is not smart. There's a danger when you harden yourself, when you keep denying it, no, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I don't care. You can, you can harden your heart and you can sear your conscience, but it doesn't make the guilt go away. It just makes you hardened. And it takes a more dramatic event like this one to wake you up. And God will do that because God loves his children and God will not let them sin successfully and he's going to expose it sooner or later. So it's much better to say, you know, I was wrong. Forgive me, right? Forgive me. And that's what they do. And then verse 22, Reuben answered and said, did I tell, not tell you? I told you this would happen. There's always one in the family, right? We shouldn't have done that. My new mom was gonna find out, right? That's Reuben. I didn't tell you, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? You didn't listen, so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. See, what Reuben thinks that God is punishing them, right? That's his idea. There's a reckoning. God is angry. God is punishing us. What he's missing is God is not punishing them. God is trying to restore them. He's trying to awaken something that's been dead inside them for so long, and he's trying to bring them back to himself, and he's trying to bring them life. We've seen it, life, 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 life. Right, that's, that's God's heart. It's always restoration. It's always forgiveness. And I think we do this all the time in the church. We think God's after me. So you, you skip a quiet time and then you get a ticket on the Truman and you're like, see, that's, I should have done my quiet time, right? God's after me. And the reality is, no, you should probably just slow down. That's all that happened there. Or your kids you know, are disrespectful and they talk back to mom and then they get sick the next day. See, that's what happens when you talk back to mom. But really, no, just some knucklehead put their kid in class that had a fever and your kid caught it. That's what happened. God is not vengeful towards his children, right? He's not looking for, uh, gotcha. We gotta get away from that mentality. He's not, try, he's not out to get his kids, right? If he wanted to do that, he's got plenty of resources and power and he's a lot more creative than a, a ticket on Truman if he wanted to do that. His goal is to bring them back to life, that's his goal, because he loves these men. He's got plans for them. The tribes of Judah, the tribe of Naphtali, the tribe of Dan, he's got plans for his people. But he got, has to get them to a place where they're willing to hear and listen. So he's softening them through this dramatic event. And I love that Joseph, at the end of the verse, he understands. They did not know that Joseph understood Right? They didn't know that he could hear them because they think he only speaks Egyptian and he's listening in. Isn't that great? It's, it's like when you go to a foreign country and you think your Uber driver doesn't know you're talking about him. Like, I bet he's taking us the long way around. I bet he's trying to rip us off. And he's like, no, I'm not, right? And you're like, whoa, that's Joseph. He's hearing everything that's going on. And, and look how he responds, right? He weeps. 
he turns and he weeps because he's like, they're getting it. These are tears of joy and relief. They're getting it. They're owning it because only the penitent man will pass. Those who will humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt the right time. And I think for us in our lives, God, the Holy Spirit works in multiple different ways to try to get our attention. Let me give you four big ones just to kind of, to, to show us what he's doing and how he wants to draw us to himself. He uses his word, obviously, which interestingly, to fit the illustration, uh, the scripture is God breathed. It's literally breathed out by God. So the first test, the breath of God, God uses his word. It's alive, it's active, and it functions as a mirror often to show us who we are. There's a self-awareness piece where I read the Bible and it's like a mirror and I see who I am. And so I come to a passage like, uh, there's six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination. And and the second one is a lying tongue. And I've just lied to my boss and I just lied to my parents and I just finished TurboTax and I claimed a few things that probably were shady. And I have a a choice in that moment. Am I gonna say, this was wrong? Or am I gonna harden my heart? Right, it's a mirror that shows us ourselves. Or we come to a passage that says, flee immorality. And I just watched something that I know it's been bothering me and it it bothered me when I watched it, but I didn't turn it off. And it's an opportunity to say, Lord, that was wrong. I should have turned that off, right? Or I just talked back to my parents or my teacher and I come to a passage that says, honor your father and mother, right? I just lied to them. And, and, And there's an opportunity to say, I was wrong. Or there's an opportunity to say, I don't care. And then there's a hardening. We're coming to passage, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. And we realize we've just been complaining because my favorite store is still not open or I can't stand being quarantined or I hate homeschooling or whatever. And and we come to that and we can say, I don't care, it's not fair. Or I can say, you know what, Lord, I I should be rejoicing. It's just an opportunity. This is how God moves. It's how he speaks. I can agree with what he says or I can say, no, I'm gonna do what I want. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. The word confess just means to agree. I agree. I shouldn't be complaining. I shouldn't be grumbling. God, I should be rejoicing. That's what confession is. Where the boys are, they're in 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have not sinned, we are deceiving ourselves. They're deceiving themselves. They're gonna get to verse nine, but right now they're thinking, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. No one knows, dad doesn't know. But the idea is this. God uses his word. To, to move us towards himself, to see ourselves and to see what he says. And we can either put ourselves under the scriptures or we can say, I don't care. And when we say, I don't care, become hardened like these guys. So he uses his word, he uses people. He uses people to draw, to wake us up, to soften conscience. So when your spouse says to husbands, you're on your phone all the time. All you are is on your phone. You come home from work, you're on your phone. The kids are just sitting there and watching you on your phone. Some of us have heard that, myself included. You have, you, have, you have a moment there to say, no, I don't. Or you can say, you know what, you're right. And God, the Holy Spirit is using that person to shape you, to sanctify you and say, I need to put the phone down and I need to go throw a ball. I need to go for a walk. I need to ride bikes. I need to help in the kitchen, All right? Your boss says, you know, I noticed the last couple of reports you turned in, it's just a lot of mistakes and a lot of, it seems like you rushed. You can say, no, I, I, no, that's not true. That's not true, that's not true. You can deny or you can say, you're right, I have, I have been. God uses other people. God uses time. The boys have nothing but time sitting in jail. Time to think. Time to, time to self-reflect, right? To assess. I think this is a big one that we miss in our culture of busyness. Corey Ten Boom famously said, if the devil can't make you sin, sure make you busy. I've been reading a book actually called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. There's a quote from Dallas Willard. He says, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. 
We're such in a hurry. Never to sit still. And if anything, COVID should be teaching us is to, to not be in such a rush, to take time, right? Because that's where God works. In, in the, sitting in the prison with nothing but time to think, we were wrong. That's what brings them to this point. We were wrong. They've had time to think. And I think we don't take time to think. We don't go on a walk and just think. We don't sit quietly very much. It's the same reason, I, don't, I mean, I don't mind walking. I'll walk and I'll go and I'll walk. But I really like running. Because when I run, I feel like I've done something, right? If you go for a two-mile walk, you're like, yeah, I walked two miles. Really, no one cares. So you, why didn't you run? That's what we say. If you walked, why didn't you run? Because it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything when I'm walking. It's just a walk. But if you run, then you feel like you did something. You sweat, your heart rate's up, right? But even though walking is probably better for you anyway because it doesn't kill your knees and kill your ankles and kill your everything. But beside the point, I'm still not gonna walk. I'm gonna run because I'm stubborn and I wanna be doing something. But I think it's interesting that the Bible never hardly uses the metaphor of the Christian life as running, except for one time in Hebrews 12, run the race. But every other time you see it, it's I, I'm to walk with God. Walk in a manner worthy. Because the Christian life, it's, it's a, it's, you can't be in a hurry. It's a walk, right? And I, I would just encourage you, before everything opens back up and goes crazy again, to be be willing to get quiet and just see, just like Samuel and, and, and when he's just a young boy and he says, speak, Lord, your servant ears, that we would be willing to sit, get alone, whether it's in your car, on your canoe, in your bed, on a walk, and just say, speak, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to awaken in my soul? What are you trying to do? Time. And I think the Holy Spirit uses circumstances just like this one too. But this one is very poetic justice, right? God is providing a circumstance where they can do the, 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 to remind them of the very thing. But maybe God is, this issue keeps coming up in your life and keep coming up and you keep doing the same thing and God's like, that's the definition of insanity. Trying to do the same thing over and over, expect different results, right? That God allows circumstances that you're dealing with this and then you just so happen to run into this person and they're dealing with the same thing and you're like, well, I can't believe that you're dealing with that because I'm dealing with that too. That God is trying to get our attention. But if we're not paying attention, we will miss it. And if we're hardening ourselves, we won't miss it. And only the humble who's willing to say, speak God, you're the one that's gonna get it. And this, this is a good reminder for us in the church, by the way, that it's okay to not be okay. I mean, everyone in here is, is in here because we're broken. That's how you get into the church, because you own that. So it's okay to not be okay and stop pretending that your perfect Instagram life is reality. But it's not okay to stay there. That's, that's, what, that's what Jesus does, and that's what he's moving towards. But hiding and, and hardening are not the way to life, even if it feels like it. So the first thing, is we just own what we've done. We're humble in that. We, we confess, we, uh, the penitent man shall pass. That's the path to life. Let's continue. There's two more real quick. Verse 24, the second half. He took Simeon from them and bound them before their eyes. Very similar to what happened to Joseph himself, right? He was bound and taken off to Egypt. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, replace every man's money in a sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. And this was done. So here's another twist to the test. They got the grain they came for, but they also have their money back in their sacks. And so they're on their way back. They loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. So they stop on the way. Hank the donkey needs a little food. 
And so one of the brothers, which one, who, who knows, maybe it's Gad or maybe it's whoever, they open their bag and they're like, oh, guys, we got a problem here. My money, did, did, they not, did we not pay? What, what's going on here? What kind of mad trick is, is God pulling on us? And notice what he says. Notice the response of the brothers, right? Um, at, this, at this, their hearts failed and they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? See, this is great because this is the first time in their lives we've ever seen them even thinking or talking about God. First time, right? Because their conscience have been awakened, their hearts have been softened, and now they're starting to recognize there is a God and I'm not him. And it's not by chance that God has orchestrated all these events. The last time we were headed back to Canaan without one brother and money in our bags was when we sold Joseph for the price of a slave. And something is beginning to change inside of them and they're starting to recognize there is a God and he's moving and he's activating their hearts and he's cracking through the hardness of their hearts. Second test for Indy was the word of God. Only in the footsteps of God will he proceed. So you remember the scene Indiana Jones has to kind of like, what's God's name? Jehovah, and then he steps on it. Of course, he steps on the J first, which makes him fall because in the, in the Latin, it's an I first, but whatever, right? But he's gotta basically follow the path of God. He's gotta recognize God. And what's going on here is these boys are finally recognizing, thinking about, observing God. And I think the, the second part of this, this test, this pass to life is that, that we start recognizing that God's hand is at work all around us and we start looking for it and we start learning from it and we start seeing it. Only in the footsteps of God will he proceed for Indy. Only in the path of, of God will we, will we proceed. Because once you're in a place of humility, recognize you're not in charge, then you can say, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing in this? What are you doing through COVID? What are you doing through my, my furlough? What are you doing through my, I lost my prom? What are you doing through all these things. And I keep trying to go this way and it seems like every time I do, it gets stopped. Maybe that's God saying, no. Or maybe there's this itching thing that you have that you feel like, man, man, I may need to step out in faith and I need to do this and it's just, I can't stop thinking about it but I'm a little bit scared and God is trying to get you to do this thing because that's where he wants you to go but you keep resisting and you need to be paying attention to that. Or maybe you keep trying to fill your, your soul with all these different things. This relationship, I switch a job every two months because I'm not happy. I buy this, I buy that and God is trying to say, are you gonna continue to try to fill your soul, that cistern that's cracked or are you gonna come to me who has living water? I'm over here. The boys have finally, their spiritual senses have awakened, just like the prodigal son. Remember, he's eating pig slop, and it's, it says he came to his senses. He's like, what? I was so much better off in dad's house. What am I doing? And in humility, he gets up and says, I'm gonna go back, and I'm gonna tell him I'm sorry. That's where they're getting. God's spirit has been working. He's never left them alone for 22 years and he's awakened something in them. And sometimes God has to bring friction to do that. And anything that God brings in our life, whether it's good or bad, if, if it gets us thinking about him, it is good because its goal is restoration, it's life. You think my parents are on me, They're tr that's God trying to get your attention. My boss is this, it's God trying to get your attention. Right? He, he wants to draw you to himself because his goal is life, just like Joseph's goal is to bring them life. So the penitent man will be, will pass, 
the one who follows in the footsteps of God, who, who sees his hand, who's looking for his hand. And let's, continue, let's finish the chapter. They get home, gotta talk to dad, tell him what happened. Verse 29, when they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that happened to them saying, the man, the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies. But we said, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is days with our father in the land of Canaan. And then the man, the Lord of the land said to us, by this, I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take grain for the famine of your households and go away. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you're not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. So they tell, at least they're honest here. They tell their dad everything that happened. That's a change for them. But Jacob flips out. They empty their sacks. And now it's not just one guy. Behold, the, the, Moses is trying to bring you in. Every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundle's money, they are afraid. And Jacob's like, you boys are gonna be the death of me. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph's no more. Now Simeon's no more. And you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. And Reuben said to his, his daddy, kill my two sons if I don't bring them back to you. Put them in my hands and I will bring them back to you. That's a very nice thought. I don't know if a grandfather killing his grandkids is gonna solve anything, but at least he's finally taking some leadership. But Jacob says, my son shall not go down with you. His brother's dead. He is the only one left. Uh, there's 10 other guys over here, but that's another story, right? His brother's dead. He's the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you would bring, my, bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. So he says, you, you're not taking Benjamin back. And we'll see what happens next week when the food runs out again and Jacob has to send his, his youngest son. And we'll see that story next week. But the idea here is this. They don't know it yet, but Joseph has lavished them with grace, hasn't he? He's given them the food that they desired, which is life. Not only did he give them food, it says he gave them provision. He actually provided for their donkeys. And so for the long 300 mile trip there, the 300 mile trip back, he provides for them that. And he puts their money back in so they get everything for free because you can't buy life. It's gotta be given to you. It's a gift, right? That's called grace. The last test that Indy has to face, remember he walks in that little cavern and there's a lion's head. It's called the path of God. Only, in, only from a leap from a lion's head will he prove his worth. And he looks across, he's like, I can't jump across this. No one can jump across this. And he realizes this is a leap of faith. And so he has to close his eyes and he has to believe. And as he steps out, I almost fell off. As he steps out, there's a little bridge that has been painted to look like the cavern floor. And he steps out on it and it catches him and he's able to walk. Why? Because he stepped out in faith, right? This is the third test that the boys haven't passed yet, but they will. It's how, how do you obtain grace? You receive it. And that's the only way. Can't buy it with your silver. Can't earn it by being good. That's what we think in the church. You gotta be good. Be nice, right? Go to church or watch church online. Pay your taxes. No, no, those are all fine things. But the only thing we can do is in humility, the penitent man will pass, realize I can't buy life. There's nothing I, there's nothing I can pay for it. Can't pay for grace, can't earn grace. Only thing I can do is receive it. And just like Indy, 
from the lion's head, leap from the lion of Judah to leap on what he has done, on what he has accomplished for us. Because there's one thing for us to to be, oh, sorrowful. There's actually two men in the gospels who both betrayed Jesus and both were really sorry they did it. One's name was Peter, one's name was Judas. Both cried, both were regretful and remorseful, but only one came back to Jesus and, and cast himself on his grace. And Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? I love you, Lord. And Judas was sorry, but he never went back to Jesus and cast himself on his grace. And this grace piece, it's it's the life or death difference, right? Right? Joseph has offered grace. God offers us grace, and his kindness is what leads us to repentance. And these boys don't know it yet, but they will. But we do, because we have the whole story. They're afraid it is grace, aren't they? The, Jacob's afraid, the boys are afraid, which is not actually an unbiblical idea. In the song, Amazing Grace, it was grace that taught my heart to what? Fear. But then, grace, my fears relieved. So they haven't been relieved yet, but they're gonna get there. It's gonna take a couple chapters, but we'll see it. But for us, here, here's what I just want us to remember, Right? Uh, and this is just a constant step in the Christian life. You are going to fail and you're going to mess up and you're going to disappoint and you're going to do things. And I'm not validating that, but I am saying this. In those moments, we don't have to hide. We don't have to harden our hearts. We don't have to, to pretend. We can go to a God of grace and we can take the leap of faith, so to speak, and step out and it will catch us. It, it is sturdy. The grace of of Jesus is sufficient for all of us, right? There is nothing that you have done or could do that is greater than his grace, that trumps his grace. He went down into the pit for us. He was rejected like Joseph for us. In fact, this whole story points to the one that would come, Jesus, who is the picture of grace. And it's throughout the scripture that God is constantly drawing us to himself. And how does he do it? He uses circumstances and he uses all sorts of things and his kindness, his grace draws us to himself because his goal for us is life, the abundant life. That's what he desires, right? And that's what we wanna see. And that's the test that these boys are faced. And that's, I think, constant for us, right? As Romans says, sin reign in death. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to life. How? Through our Lord Jesus. That's this. So for us as a church, we pass the test, the breath of God, only the penitent man, humble man, will pass. The word of God, following in his footsteps, seeing his handiwork, looking for what he is doing, and then the path of God. Only a leap from the lion's head, the lion of Judah, resting in his grace. That's what we wanna be. That's the test. That's how God moves. That's how he softens. That's how he keeps us close. And that is the path to life. Let me pray. And then we'll sing a couple songs. Father, I thank you for the message of grace and truth and that Joseph models that uh, as, your, as your hand of just kind of putting these guys through the ringer, but you're doing it to bring them back to yourself. And I, there's probably some out there watching uh, that, that you're moving in, you're drawing and you're, your kindness to them is, is meant to lead them back to you. I just pray even through watching this on a computer, 
or in a, in a phone, that your spirit, using the word of God, which is the breath of God that is alive and active, would draw people to yourself. I pray that we wouldn't harden our hearts towards you. So easy to do. So easy to sear our conscience so that we don't feel conviction. And I pray that we would be just a tender, soft people. Not perfect, but when we fail, we own it. Because you give life and you desire life for us. And you are life. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And so I just pray that we would remember that. It'll be on the front of our minds that we would see what you're doing. So in Christ's name I pray.